0: Hi there, this is Chuck Ruzanski, the founder and president of Mile High Comics Inc., and I am proud that I was here tonight on Real Pop Culture.
1: Real
2: Pop Culture! Real Pop Culture, episode 92, on the road to 100. We got a great episode for y'all tonight. I'm gonna to keep this intro short and sweet, as I don't have a whole lot of announcements other than uh, other than to let you know we're working on uh, some cons, uh, some appearances that we're gonna be doing pretty soon. We're we're tripling our con schedule because cons is where we need to be. That's where we meet potential listeners and have a great time. I wanted to. Uh, let you know we're working on some other... A bunch of really cool stuff for the 100th episode. Um, I can't can't wait for that. It's going to be really cool. Um, we're working on some other cool interviews and stuff like that on the road to 100. Want to remind everybody about our new email, new email address, popculture4real. That's the number 4real at gmail.com. If you have a question or want to leave a comment or a shout-out, call our voicemail line, 662-305-9783. Another big shout-out to the Edge Radio U.S. for airing us on Wednesday nights. Uh, I guess that's going to be a thing on a regular basis. So if you're listening to us on the Edge Radio U.S., welcome to the show. I hope you like it. Um... I wanted to go ahead and apologize for the outro of this show. You know it's going to be a good show when you kind of start out with an apology. We had a great interview with Chuck from Maha Comics. Um, he's such a cool dude. He's, he's such an awesome guy. and Had a great time talking to him. And then afterwards, of course, when we get together, we're usually grilling out, hanging out, having a good time. I broke out a bottle of single malt scotch, some Macallan 12. We uh, we got to having a good time, and we got a little tipsy. I ain't gonna lie, I ain't even gonna try to defend us, but uh, the outro is just a little bit uh, it's funny. I thought, like I I had a good time editing it because I was laughing at our stupidity, but uh. Yeah, I'm gonna jump right onto this interview. I had a great time talking to Chuck. Uh, I love his passion that he has for comic books. Um, he's just such a great guy. Uh, he he's got he takes part in all these charitable organizations, and he loves comic books even after 50 years of having like pretty much every comic book you can imagine. He still loves collecting, and just a great time talking to him. Um, so here we go. Choke, Maha Comics, episode 92 on the Road to 100. Keep it real. Real pop culture.
1: Those new band shirts look awesome. Where did
3: you get those done? At Anarchy Design. They do screen printing now? Oh yeah, they do professional
2: custom screen printing at a very competitive rate. Where can I find them? Look them up on Facebook, facebook.com slash anarchydesign69, or email them at anarchydesign69 at gmail.com. You can check out some of their work on their Facebook page. When you're ready to order, you can send them your idea, or they can design it for you. It's a one-stop shop for all your screen printing needs. That's AnarchyDesign69 at gmail.com. It's a one-stop shop for all your screen printing needs. That's AnarchyDesign69 at gmail.com. Hi there, this
0: is Chuck
2: Rosent. Hey Chuck, this is Mark with the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Awesome, can you hear me alright?
0: Yeah, I can hear you just fine. I'm going to get a little bit of a quieter spot here on my end.
2: Okay, that's great. What's the weather like in Denver right now? Is summer finally set in, or is it still cool? Yeah,
0: it's about 70 degrees. It's real
2: nice. Nice. It never gets, like, super hot in Denver, does it?
0: Uh, not like Phoenix, no.
2: Not like it does here in Mississippi. (laughs) Oh,
0: no, screw that.
2: Yeah, we got a lot of humidity.
0: Nope. Nope. That's just a big Nope.
2: Uh, we're, uh, we're recording right now. I was going to ask you, we're right on the 50th. Are y'all at the 50th anniversary yet, or are you right on the cusp of it? Uh,
0: I'm on the cusp of it. Uh, let's see. Uh, it was February 6, 1970, so we're about a year
2: and a half away. Y'all got a, a bunch of big plans for the 50th? No. No? <laughs> Just another day?
0: <laughs> well, I'm hoping I'm breathing that day. That's my big, that's my big plan.
2: Well, that's a good goal to start with.
0: Yeah, because if you don't, nothing else matters much.
2: Right. Mile High Comics has gained its own place in pop culture history in that, and Kevin Smith kind of echoed it when he did his infamous tour of Mile High Comics. There's people now that will buy comic books from Mile High (laughs) Comics just to say they bought it at Mile High Comics. Y'all have gained that kind of popularity. Isn't that crazy? I mean, that's... That, that's what's special about this book is they bought it at Maha Comics.
0: Well, I think that's very kind of them to attach that kind of cachet uh, to what we're doing. I would hope that, that what would really make them happy is that we bring passion and, and caring when we're selling stuff and that they remember that as a great experience and so you know to me when i'm buying tangible objects a lot of times it has to do with the memories that are attached to them that's what makes them special so that's why i say i I hope that when people are buying things from us that we're able to make it special for them and they feel like like they were treated really well
2: right on is it true maha comics started in a basement
0: oh it was way worse than that worse than that. Oh, yeah. When I started Mile High Comics, uh, I had no money at all. I dropped out of college on purpose. I had a full scholarship, and I gave it up to live in a 63 Chevy for four months, and I drove to 11 comic book shows in 13 weeks, and I was living in the car um, and uh, uh, eating cold cans of food that I bought with food stamps, and after the end of that summer, I had accumulated $800, and that was allowed us to go into the basement. Uh, uh, There was a coal bin in the basement of a giant old brick building in downtown Boulder, and they had just renovated it. And the building itself was renovated really nicely, but this kind of long brick uh, cold bin was um, where they stored all the construction materials so when I moved in there and i took over things, first thing I had to do was clean up all the dust and crap from the remodel and then I had to put in some lights because it was just a single light bulb and this was for an area that was about 1200 square feet so one light bulb wasn't doing it
2: yeah for sure it's not really, it's not cool to live in a car but at least it was a Chevrolet uh, yeah
0: um, <laughs> yeah compared to yeah other cars and yeah i gotta tell you that uh uh, when you're 19 years old living in a car is romantic and and adventure um i wouldn't want to do it today
2: no me neither i'm with you on that uh tell us about the edgar church collection i read about that on on wikipedia um was that the first big collection that you acquired
0: well, that was about um, seven years into the company, and I already had, at that point, three retail stores, and yeah, it was by far the biggest collection that I had purchased, although at that point, we already had 100,000 books in stock. I mean, it wasn't, I mean, we were, we were definitely uh, uh, doing a lot of business.
2: Was that like a, just a huge collection? Did it have a lot of key issues? What was significant about it?
0: Oh, Totally. I mean, it was the single best uh, comic book collection that's ever been found in the history of collecting. Oh, wow. And in point of fact, it was, on many levels, uh, based on today's values. And it's really important to understand that, that we're talking about a huge difference between 1977 and today. Uh, but based upon today's values, the total value of the comics in the Edgar Church collection... Uh, would have been the equivalent of, um, gosh, the Atocha when they, when they discovered the Spanish galleon that sunk off of Florida. Um, it, it, there's not been any other collectibles find of any kind, stamps, coins, you name it. Um, the, the Edgar Church collection, in terms of total current day value, is greater than anything that's ever been discovered. So wow. we're talking about north of two hundred million dollars.
2: Whoa! Are we talking like Action Comics number one? Like like what? What were One up. up. Everyone.
0: Everyone. Everyone. So it started. Um, Edgar Church started buying with Action Comics number one. Prior to Action One, he had been buying comics used, but he didn't have a lot of new issues so yeah, very few um, but he essentially invented the pull and hold system because he got a newsstand in central Denver to start saving him one copy each of every comic book that came out every single week all of them and so um, he had you know your Batman one up your Captain America one up Marvel Mystery one up he had them all um, the only book that he had used was Superman 1 because it wasn't sold west of, the, uh, west of the Mississippi. So he had to get a used copy of that, which he tracked down. Um, and then his detectives, the new ones, I think, started with 29. So I think, I know his 27 was used. I think the 28, 28 may have been new. But yeah, he started buying comic books for long-term purposes prior to anyone else in the world, and he started doing that in 1938.
2: Right, because originally people would buy comic books just to read. They would roll them up, stick them in their back pocket, they would trade them with their friends, they'd throw them in their yeah, back Yeah, but counter. he wanted to be a comic book artist. But he was that one of the original the collectors that, that, that kept them in good condition.
0: Yeah, well, what he did was he, he would buy them, and uh, I don't know if he even read them all. Um, he had a closet downstairs that his kids weren't allowed into that had a padlock on it and it was a big closet and uh, a walk-in kind of closet and uh, it was stacks of comics all the way up into the rafters and he just, over the years just uh, kept accumulating them and he had more and more and more of them and his goal was to be a comic book artist I mean, he was your typical fanboy who really, really wanted to break into the big time. And he actually created some comics on his own, and he went to New York and did a presentation to the publishers. Uh, But there were a couple of issues. The first one was in those days, it was very hard to get artwork and and scripts to New York if you weren't living there. Most of the comics artists lived in the New York area. And then the second one is is that um, he wasn't Jewish. And being Jewish is what opened up the doors in the early 1940s because the vast majority of the publishers at that point were Jewish. And so, um, if you didn't have anybody at your synagogue that would vouch for you, um, you had a problem. I mean, it was, it was harder to break in. And the fact that he lived all the way out in Colorado, nobody took him seriously, which is, which is a shame because his art wasn't bad. Hmm.
2: About what year to talking about, you know, the the preservation of comics, about what year did the bags and boards kick in? Because, uh, you know, like I said, originally when comics came out, people weren't always as clever as him with the foresight of, of preserving them and collecting them. They just bought them to read. Well, t-
0: two different answers, okay? Because bags, uh, Robert Bell basically invented comic book bags and uh, he started selling those, I think, in 68 or 69 because I know the very first Bell catalog that I ever got, he was offering plastic bags for comics. And they were fairly expensive in those days. They were like $4.00 a hundred dollars a 100 uh, hmm. Which, if you compare it today, you can just throw a zero on there. It's like forty dollars a hundred for plastic bags for comics. Hmm. So boards came along much later. Uh, we didn't have boards until the late seventies. Yeah, I was
2: thinking. I was thinking seventies and eighties would would probably be what I remembered uh, the, the bags and boards yeah. coming in there.
0: Bear in mind, bags evolved too, because the earliest bags were polyethylene, and then they switched over to polypropylene again in the late seventies, early eighties.
2: And see, y'all existed years and years before internet, before ebay, before any of that. Was that a big game changer for y'all's business when that came along? Did did you Oh
0: totally. Totally. We we printed catalogs and we ran at print ads in Marvel and then one day we had a mechanism to where we could reach consumers for free. And uh, email became a huge deal for us. We ended up with a mailing list of 118,000
2: people. Oh, wow. Um, there's been, a, it's, it was, seems like, from my point of view, have been a lot of surges, peaks and valleys in in interest for comic books over the years. Have you, have you kind of seen that in your business? Where oh, totally. There'll be, there'll be uh, a big surge, and then, like, right now, it's, it's the big boom again because of all the superhero movies, right?
0: Yeah, but last year it was in the toilet. Yeah. So, yeah, it goes in waves and you know the thing that I'm the proudest of is that through all the peaks and and valleys that have occurred, uh I'm still here. Right. And if you go back and you you look at all the other people in the in the comics world, um they're gone. I mean, everybody who was there when I started, they're gone. Yeah. Uh, you know, and and so I'm sort of like the battle survivor at this point of 50 years of, of uh, buying and selling and figuring out some way to survive those constant recessions. I mean, bear in mind that in, in 1993, the comic book business lost 80% of its unit volume.
2: Wow. I didn't know it was that much.
0: Oh, with The Death of Superman... The only way that the publisher survived was by raising prices, but that hit the fact that the actual unit sales, the sales of copies per issue printed, um, plummeted between 1993 and 1996. It was, it was pretty close to an 80% decline. Call it 78% decline. Wow. Um, but that was that was enormous, and uh, surviving that time period, did, did, were you aware of the fact that 8,000 comic book stores went out of business during those four years?
2: Not 8,000. I had no idea it was that many.
0: Oh, the attrition was horrific. And uh, we're still sopping up the carnage because uh, I still go out and I'm offered on a fairly regular basis uh, the remnants of comic book stores that went out during that particular slaughter. But it's the way that it works in the business. I mean, you'll have periods when... Everybody and their grandmother wants to open up a comic book store, and they all think it's the easiest thing in the world. And then one of these major league recessions hits, and it just it just devastates people. And people lose their houses and their life savings and grandma's inheritance. And, and uh, the comic book business has been, for retailers, extremely brutal. Uh, the ones that are surviving today are ones who have figured out come hell or high water how to stay in the game even under some incredibly onerous circumstances and I've been blessed to have friends that have helped me and it's you know but you got to have luck too I mean you just got to be able to, to find out the ways to survive then when you get the little boom periods man build strength try to try to you know develop as much as you can in terms of building up your asset base and decreasing debt because you know anytime that there's a boom that's that, gonna at some point. The valley's we'll coming.
2: Again. Yeah. Uh what happened with the death of Superman? You you mentioned that did they print too many of them? Was that the problem? That there was just too much of it out there?
0: Pardon me, I got a siren going by here. That's fine. Okay. okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> well ahead. the problem with the death of Superman was that the whole thing was just an incredibly bad idea. I mean it was just horrible because they were planning to do a publicity stunt Okay, And in-house, everybody was just operating on the basis of this is just going to be another marketing shtick and it's no big deal. The trouble is, is that they got Martha Thomas's involved. And Martha Thomas's is talented. Oh my gosh, her Rolodex in those days, back when we had Rolodexes, her Rolodex was filled with the editors at every single major publication. And the fact that this was happening within Time Warner gave her the ability to reach even further out there. And so it ended up that Martha Thomas has got it into People Magazine and she got it into USA Today that this was the real deal. This was not an imaginary story. This was not a maybe. This was a, we're gonna kill him and he's gonna be dead story. Mm. Well, that was a lie. That was never intended. And Martha just overplayed the hand terribly. And in doing that, she put DC in a dreadful position and she put the comic book industry in a dreadful position because the net result of that was that people believed it. They actually thought that Superman was going away. And when I heard this, I called up Paul Levitz and he said, oh, the deal's already done. You've got to talk to Mike Carlin. He's the group editor. He's the only one who can do anything. And I called Mike Carlin, and I said, Mike, this is, this is insanity. You do not own Superman. Superman is an American icon. It would be like if Disney suddenly announced that they were going to kill off Mickey, Mickey Mouse. Mouse. You, don't, <laughs> yeah. you don't own Mickey Mouse. These are characters that are part of the national mythos. They are part of who we are as a people you cannot kill for money. This is, this is wrong. And nobody was buying it. Everybody was like, oh, nobody's going to really take this seriously. This is going to all just be over in six months. Not a big deal. Uh, sorry, but it wasn't over in six months. People bought into it. They stood in lines for hours to buy that Death of Superman issue. And then the net result of it turned out to be that it was all a big fraud. Well, when people figure out that they've been lied to, there is a negative reaction to that. Surprise, surprise.
2: Sure. Was there any and benefit so we, to that we
0: lost a huge audience then?
2: Was there any benefit to getting mainstream people that wouldn't normally look at comics getting their attention or do you think it was all like it was all Well oh, wow. getting
0: their attention was good, okay? And getting them involved was good, but doing it through a fraudulent marketing plan was bad. Mm. And so the comic industry at that point was already on fire. There were over 10,000 comic shops. We did not need the death of Superman. But it happened anyway and it was wrong. And you know, ever since then, we've been trying to win back the trust of the general public and to this day, I have people come in my big store and they're they're wanting to sell us back those issues and we're like, you know, we love you, but you know, but nobody nobody's Buying that much the 75
2: sells well but the rest of them and eh. yeah i remember that time period like it was yesterday because like nightfall is my favorite series we've had chuck dixon chuck dixon on the show before and uh I'm a huge fan of Nightfall. I'm a Batman guy. But I thought the timing was weird because Superman was quote-unquote dead, and then all of a sudden Batman gets his back broken, and he's out of the picture. That's your two titans for DC, and arguably for the whole comic book industry. That's your two biggest players, and they're both benched. or One's dead and one's benched. Yeah, well, you
0: know, and, and Marvel at that point in time was doing things like the Clone Saga. Remember that silly crap? And, you know, it's just, that's the trouble, is that when publishers start dicking with their mythos, <laughs> yeah. they turn people off. Right. And, you know, but most publishers, and I'm not talking about the people in editorial, I'm talking about publishers, don't know their ass from a hole in the ground. And so what they're doing is they're just trying to figure out what's the gimmick that's going to make our next quarter look good. They're doing it like corporate America, and instead of building something long, over a long period of time and building value, what they're trying to do is impress their corporate bosses with a great quarter or a great year. Well, that kind of short-term thinking is what really screws stuff up.
2: Right.
0: And, you know, I have seen so many people who come in and act like they're God's gift, and I actually have a name for these people. I call them Suits, okay? Yeah. And and I take this really seriously because uh over and over and over again I have had people come into the comic book world from some other business and they come in with their suit and tie and they look down their noses at us like we're a bunch of morons and they come in and they tell us how they're going to save us and all the great things that they're going to do and oh if we weren't such dumb and bricks um we would have made tons of money a long time ago Well, with very few exceptions these people are gone in fact almost all of them are gone um and and you know all they've done is create havoc and harm, and so I to say that I hold them in contempt and and utterly despise them understates the issue.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. You used to have a column, uh, w- uh, tales from the database that you did in yeah, the yeah. Uh, I loved
0: the, I loved the, writing those columns. And that, I wrote 170 of them, I think it was. And uh, yeah, I I wrote a lot of stories, and there's there's some. Um, I've gone back and looked at some of them, and, the, and most of the information that I put in there is still timely.
2: Do you still like to do stuff like that? Do you blog or anything? I know you've got that newsletter thing on YouTube. I do my
0: newsletter, but nah, anymore, um, uh, I'm working on a, on a graphic novel series right now uh, on the um, impact of Harvey Milk, the gay icon, mm-hmm. on... Uh, sort of American popular culture and to a certain extent world culture, Uh and that is my focus right now. So I'm actually in the creative end of things, and I think that that uh, that graphic novel series is going to be pretty popular. I've got the first story arc written, and so we'll probably see a book early next year.
2: Oh, cool. That'll be really cool. Um, Yeah, it'll
0: be the first of a three-part series, so it should be good.
2: Speaking of your newsletter... um On on the first one that that I watched today, it was the uh, the the first one it you'd mentioned having 10 million comics at the time, and in my head the first thing I think I've got like a thousand comics in my collection, and my uh, filing system is so out of whack and so difficult. How in the world do you go about arranging and filing 10 million comics? What goes in storage? What goes on the shelf? What's your system?
0: Well, we got a lot of different systems, but let me tell you how we cheat. Um, We cheat by uh, a a method that Jeff Bezos at Amazon taught me. Um, We had a deal with Amazon back when they were first getting started, and and, uh, so they took me into their main warehouse in uh, Seattle, and they showed me how they did things. And uh, the number one thing that they do is uh, to keep from having to keep anything in order ever, Uh, they attach an identifier number to everything. Hmm. And then everything's sorted by identifier number. If you ever lose your database, you are screwed. Um,
2: (laughs) Were you worried about Y2K?
0: (laughs) I worry about a lot of things. But um, by having everything with an identifier number on it, it means that um, all we do is once a year we condense. And by doing that, we maximize space utilization on every single shelf.
2: Yeah, I've seen the YouTube videos, man. Everything looks so professionally organized and neat, and I'm like, good Lord, like I said, I can't keep up with a 1,000 comics, and y'all have 10 million comics, and it looks so neat and archived. You must have a huge staff that works around the clock just sorting
0: stuff. Well, we have a big staff, but here's the thing to remember. We are not a comic book company. We are a sorting company. I go out and I buy long boxes. A long box is essentially a colored cinder block, because until you can sort those issues and convert them to where you can find them when someone wants them, they're utterly useless, actually, and that's something that most people don't grasp. Um, (laughs) There was a a rather foolish comic book dealer that accumulated 10 million books and uh, got them all in a warehouse and then discovered that it cost more to sort them than he had paid for them. Um, surprise! Um, what we do is we amortize our sorting costs over years and years and years and years because the comics that you see in those videos, uh, many of those were sorted and put into inventory systems 25 years ago. So that's a sunk cost. That's an amortized labor cost that, you know, I don't even think about today because it was paid for decades ago.
2: Right. Well,
0: you try and do that today in one hunk, you're going to bankrupt yourself. So we are a sorting company. That's what we do all day long. We sort comics and then we ship orders. And um, if you're not a a sorting kind of person, if that isn't in your blood, if you don't like putting little things in order, get the hell out of this business
2: because you're not in the right business. Right. I'm kind of torn on something, and I wanted to get your perspective on it. Maybe give me some direction here, because I, I get the idea and the convenience of digital comics, because reading a comic book on your iPad in bed is a lot easier than using a flashlight and reading a, a book, but but I like the physical, tangible, I want to hold it in my hand, I want the, the collector value. What's your take on digital comics, and how does how does that affect Mile High Comics?
0: Yeah, digital comics are like the difference between a real girl and porn. Mm-hmm. You know, both have their place in the world. Uh, yeah. But I'm a big fan of real girls.
2: Right. <laughs> that's that's a good answer. Uh, and like I said, I, I get the convenience factor. I mean, I like reading comic books on my iPad. But once I'm done, like I, it's like I'm buying air. Like I don't have the the actual book anymore. Just like porn. Right. Do y'all sell a lot of digital comics too?
0: No, I don't. I, no. When interested. we have had digital comics in the past, we give them away because by giving them away, we, we can let people sample comics that they've never tried before. And in doing that, it gives us the opportunity to convert them into buyers of you know paper products. Um, but I'm a huge believer in paper. I like the feel of paper. I like the smell, smell of paper. I'm, yeah. I'm addicted to uh, old comic books and that basement smell that they get. I'm, um, we actually... Uh, we. We call it huffing, and and uh, I am a huffer from way back. I mean, I, I don't sell comics just to make money. I mean, I sell comics, and, and this, is, this is sort of the secret of Mile High Comics, really. Uh, I don't sell comic books to make money. Uh, I have made millions of dollars in real estate. I don't need to sell comic books to make money. I sell comic books so that I can have cash flow so that I can buy more comics. And so the goal is not getting rid of comics. The goal is getting more. Right. And so that's a that's a slightly different perspective than a lot of people have.
2: This is what I I can't help but wonder, especially in a person in your position here. Um, what titles like do you sell, and which ones do you keep? Do you like have a huge personal collection, or is it all one and yeah, the same? Yeah, I or? do.
0: Yeah, I collect things like underground comics and giveaways um, because uh, particularly giveaways are very rare. And uh, so I like to collect things that are, that are very hard to get. Uh, I collect some art, original art, but I don't necessarily collect things that are valuable. I don't necessarily collect things that are in vogue that other people give a damn about, uh, you know. My main interest is in getting things that are of an unusual nature or that have some sort of historical significance in the comics world. And so uh I have tens of thousands of comics at home, uh, but really, at the end of the day my my inventory is is kind of my collection and um i people who have seen me out at shows will tell you um i my idea of a great day is to stand at somebody's dollar boxes um and just Work the dollar boxes for eight or ten or twelve hours at a time, just for fun because I like it. I I I've been doing this for forty eight years now, and I still can't wait to go to work every day. I, I just love buying comic
2: books. Are, is there any current stuff that you're reading, like rebirth or anything like that? That you what are you currently nope. keeping up with? No, nope. no. Nope. You like nope. the older stuff? better? Right now, in the all my
0: reading time. No, uh, all my reading time right now is uh, research into gay history, and I'm working on these books uh, about Harvey Milk, and in order to do that, uh, every moment that I get, I've been uh, studying uh, the period when Harvey Milk was living during the uh, 60s and the 70s, and and trying to get information about that. So when you're trying to do a non-fiction fiction fiction book, which is kind of a weird contradiction, but it's a you know I'm doing a series of books that are based on true events, but then I'm extrapolating from those. Uh, when you're doing that, then you, you you really need to know what you're talking about because if you're gonna if you're gonna diverge from actual history, then any kind of speculations that you make had best well be based upon a, a pretty high degree of probability. Otherwise, you're you're going to get yourself in a, a point of embarrassment, and uh, so. Uh, rather than reading comics right now I'm I'm spending all my time reading non fiction. On the other hand, yes when I do get a chance to read comics more often than not I'm reading undergrounds because that was really my time period.
2: <clears throat> what is the what is your most prized possession in your collection? Uh my building. Your building? Oh good answer. <laughs> what it what, what, yeah. what's the most valuable comic you've ever held in your hands? Like probably the action well, comics in the best own, copy
0: or? of Action One. I mean yeah. that The Edgar Church copy is owned by a guy in Virginia right now, and he turned down $5 million for it many years ago. Wow.
2: Well, uh, we got a few more questions for you. Uh, We're not going to keep you too long. I'm going to turn you over to my co-host, Germ. Uh, He wants to talk about your charitable organizations and stuff that that you do and, uh, and get all your plugs in and stuff.
0: All right. Okay.
1: Hey, Chuck. How's it going, man? It's going really well. Awesome. Um, I know you do a lot of work with the uh, the Imperial Court of the Rocky Mountain Empire. Uh, you do a lot of I stuff do. with uh, Feeding Denver's Hungry, Urban Peak, and Rainbow Alley. Can you tell me a little bit about all that?
0: Well, it's all based in the gay culture here in Denver. Um, the Imperial Court system was founded in 1965 in San Francisco by a drag queen, Jose Saria. And... Mm-hmm. The goal was to find some way to do uh, positive pub- public acts in order to stop the police harassment. Because back in the 60s, uh, anybody who dressed in uh, non uh, birth gender clothing was subject to arrest. So men were subject to arrest if they dressed in women's clothes. Women were subject to arrest if they dressed in men's clothes. And uh, the police department in San Francisco at that time was actually controlled by the Catholic Archbishop. Uh, They were mostly Irish cops and they were mean and they did not like Uh, any of the people in the gay community. So anyway, Jose uh, formed this sort of mutual protection society, and he said, look, in order to validate who we are and to show that we can be positive members of society, we need to not only put on public performances, but we also need to make them for charity and to raise money for charity. Well, his idea took off, and now there's 70 courts in the United States, Canada, and Mexico, and I'm blessed to be one of the national leaders of that organization and uh, in addition to that here in denver i participate mightily in terms of raising money for causes that are both uh straight causes and gay causes uh rainbow alley for example is a drop-in center that helps take care of gay youth and uh, transgender kids uh whereas um feeding denver's hungry we're helping the elderly and the poor and the disabled and uh, doing our best to, to feed, we feed a uh, 1,000 people every two weeks. So, and we don't just give them like a sandwich. We give them, you know, a 10 or 15-pound bag of groceries that they can take home. And so we're distributing um, 10,000 pounds of food every two weeks.
1: Right. And, you know, I saw on one of your videos you talked about you actually covered the difference. Uh, how does that make you feel knowing that you give back to the community in so many different ways?
0: Well, that's the most important thing that you can do when you wake up because you know, I got really sick a couple of years ago. Actually, I got sick twice. I had West Nile fever oh, and right. uh, I got bit by the wrong mosquito on the wrong day and I ended up in the hospital and uh, for a while there, it was such and go. Well, you know, when you come back from something like that, it sort of rearranges your brain and your priorities and right. you realize that, you know, we got to do more in life than just, money and, and power and, and relationships and all of that, sometimes we have to put out a helping hand to people that, that desperately need it and, and share some of the good fortune that we've had. And I know that sounds like a bunch of platitude crap, um, but at the end of the day, that is my motivator. And it, it so I try to put as much of my time as I can into helping those in need. And I'm blessed that here in Denver, there's a lot of other people that also share my desires, and so um, they give me the venues in which to work. But uh, over the last four years, I've raised about one hundred and fifty thousand dollars.
1: I know you say you do. Um, you'll like put people in for drawings and stuff. I know you do uh, gift certificates and stuff like that. Do you still do all that stuff too?
0: Oh yeah, we do that. We do charity poker games. Um, yeah we do everything under the sun. And uh, you know what we try and do, and this my goal. Is not just to be the one that that uh, raises the money or contributes the money. What I try to do is bring out the best in other people and to give them ways that they can help the community. And in doing that, just by being a facilitator, I create a lot of good. and And I think that's something that we all have to recognize. You can't, you can never do it all yourself. So you have to rely on other people and the goodness in their hearts. And but you sometimes have to work to find it because people get cynical and people get angry and people feel personally frustrated and they don't realize that one of the things that unbinds you and makes you feel the best is actually giving and helping and so um, but once you can show them that then it's like magic I mean it's 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 really a win-win for everybody
1: you're absolutely right on that you know I've, I've recently started doing some cosplay stuff uh, with the podcast too at some of these cons that we do and just seeing people's faces light up just getting a smile out of somebody because you never know who's having a bad day you know that kind of stuff does make a difference to somebody but um
0: oh it does and you know when you're able to make a change in the world
1: that that's exactly right yeah and you know the nicest thing is is that i found that
0: that the people that i work with oh my god they're great people and you know when it there's this positive energy that develops that is very enriching. Um, you know, it, all of us have to have our material needs met and all of us have financial obligations and, and responsibilities that we gotta deal with. But you can't only focus on that because if you do, then you end up at when you, you just, your spirit isn't yeah. You make
1: yourself miserable and, by doing that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you exactly. Yeah. Right. I see I see so many people that have significant amounts of material wealth and they're miserable and they're they're absolutely just totally unhappy people. So finding ways to help others and do it in a way that that allows you to share in their joy, it's amazing. I mean, it just it creates a lot of good.
1: You're exactly right about that. Um my next question is people outside of Denver or outside of Colorado even uh,
0: yeah yeah, how, I was just how, can, how can
1: they help how can they donate
0: oh people that are outside
1: yeah um, do, you, do you have any sites I mean sites that you want to plug or anything like that that you would like to
0: well the Feeding Denver's Hungry site is uh, always in need of money because um, we have no government funding we right. have no paid staff it's just myself uh, Jim sharper and then there's um, about a total of 75 volunteers of which in any given week we have about 20 or 25 that show up but we fundraise basically every day and uh, if you just go to feeding Denver's hungry on Facebook you'll see that um, you know it's not quite as much of a beg-a-thon as like the Jerry Lewis thing but it's real close because um, we're blessed. The Food Bank of the Rockies uh, sells us food that they get donated, and they sell it to us for a nickel on the dollar. But the nickels add up, so we end up giving them, you know, five, six, $700 every two weeks, and we get 10,000 pounds of food for that. But we still got to raise the five, six, $700. So um, any donations that we could get to Feeding Denders Hungry would, would go directly to buying food. We have no overhead costs at all, zero. Um, so it's just it's just us guys trying to trying to help people
1: you know and it's it's bad because this is becoming an epidemic all over not just the Denver area not just our area but I mean all over the the, the whole world I mean
0: oh yeah I was just in Portland and oh my god downtown Portland is like an encampment um parts of of San Francisco. Ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Um, I was just at uh, the Bayfront Hotel, which is where San Diego Comic-Con is. Yes. And uh, right next to the convention center. And there were guys who were setting up tarps underneath the bridge that that takes you across Harbor Boulevard there.
1: That's Um, heartbreaking.
0: Yeah, it's just like it's everywhere. It's just everywhere. And, you know, a lot of it has to do with income inequality. And I can tell you, okay, I'm one of the 1% okay, I'm, I'm one of the people that made it and that has, you know, just a shitload of money. Right. But I rail against the tax structure as it's set up right now because it's set up to screw the little guy.
1: Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. And I I I can't stand that because I came to America as a little boy and it was a land of opportunity and I was able to you know, scrimp and save, and I had good luck. And, you know, the whole erasure-alger thing worked for me. I don't know if it would work for somebody today because the way that the tax code is set up, it's structured to benefit the rich. And and the working people, the standard of living in the United States has, has gone to hell. They're exporting our jobs overseas. And companies, the, 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 the multinational corporations, are allowed... To take full tax deductions on people that they're paying in, you know, Bangladesh four dollars a day to work. Yeah. Now, where does that make any sense that our government would allow them tax deductions for shipping jobs overseas? Exactly. Um, and I'm sorry, but I, you know, I.
1: I oh, I get it. I get it.
0: I'm, I'm I'm one of the guys that got lucky, and I, I want my luck to be available to the next generation. I don't think that it's fair that the deck is stacked right now, and, and that bothers me a lot. And so I work for social justice, and I work to help the people that are affected, but I also work to try and change the laws so that we can have a system that's more fair. And, uh, you know, really, at the end of the day, I don't see this as being a Democratic or a Republican problem i see this as being an american problem we need to take back our economic system and make sure that it benefits our people and doesn't just benefit the the ultra rich
1: yeah you're right i mean you're you're honestly you're a, a real life superhero like the stuff that they write about in the comic books you are trying to do every single day but uh do you have any other sites that you want to uh Plug and uh, mention on here uh, uh, for people to, to uh, go check out uh, your Mile High Comic page. You got any Facebook or Twitter or anything like that?
0: Well, yeah, we got our Mile MileHighComics.com page, and then we've got our Mile High Comics Facebook as well. Um, you know what? One thing that I would like to plug, and I know this will sound a little bit strange. Um, I'm a straight guy. I'm what's called an ally but I'm in the gay community. And one of the things that we see is a lot of young people who to this day still find themselves, especially in small towns where they're feeling totally alienated and and, uh, especially among the trans kids, there's a lot of suicide. And so um, I would recommend that uh, if someone had any kind of interest that they go to uh, the Imperial court sites um, and look at Look at some of the different imperial courts. You can look them up on Google. Um, like I said, there's 70 of them. Um, but there's so many caring individuals there that, that would help. Um, and there's a lot of hotlines that will help kids. Um, you know, Harvey Milk was, was really worried about that that poor kid in Altoona, Pennsylvania, who who had no one to talk to and nowhere to go. And, uh, you know, if somebody has an issue, they can write to me directly. It's chuckbrizansky at gmail.com. I'm pretty easy to get to. And uh, I, if if I can't help, then I can refer them to someone who can. Um, but you know, the the big thing is is that we have to remember that we're all Americans, and that you know, people who are gender questioning, they have their own issues already. They don't need other people to be to be giving them a ration. So we need to try and take care of everybody in our communities.
1: You're absolutely right about that. I mean, we're all human beings at the end of the day. So, you know everybody just love each other i mean that would solve a lot of problems
0: it would solve a lot of problems and it never ends up being as easy as that but damn it every one of us has a responsibility to try to move the needle as best we can exactly. and so you know i i i put unbelievable amounts of hours at this point into into trying to help people and uh, it's all a good thing it's all a good thing, and, and this has been, you know, since I recovered from West Nile the second time, this has been the, the most rewarding time of my entire life. And it hasn't, it it has been because of the goodness of spirit. And uh, it just, I'm so grateful. I'm man. just so grateful that I, that I got a second shot and that I could do good things.
1: Hey, so, look, karma is, is definitely paying you back tenfold in the right kind of way, man. Uh, The only other thing that I've got right now is I was going to see if you might could actually do a a bump for us where you say, hey, this is Chuck Rozanski, founder and CEO of Mile High Comics, and you're listening to Real Pop Culture.
0: Okay, I can do that. Awesome. Hi there, this is Chuck Rozanski, the founder and president of Mile High Comics Inc., and I am proud that I was here tonight on Real Pop Culture
1: awesome man i appreciate it awesome thank you chuck
0: all righty well you guys take care and all the best and do what you can to try and make the world a better place all right
1: you too man just keep doing what you're doing i'm proud of you man and we'll we'll Uh, talk again soon
0: okay thank you thank you for taking the time
1: okay bye
2: shadow stalkers paranormal is a non-profit organization a level-headed team with a knowledgeable background who tries to explain and debunk, not taking things solely as paranormal. They try to help their clients with an understanding about the paranormal. Shadow Stalkers Paranormal also gives back to the community by way of sponsorships such as this one, fundraisers for historical sites and individuals with terminal illnesses.
1: They strive to make their team better and make a difference.
2: You can find them on Facebook, Facebook.com slash Paranormal 38821. They're ready to believe you. You know what's funny? that this show is literally like Mikel's Navy sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> Wasn't that the down? Uh, no, it was down. Down periscope. Down down periscope. periscope. Uh, what was the guy's name? Haywire. Haywire. <laughs> like you just did the Haywire thing we with this microphone to make get the word. real
3: sperm. Uh, well mating call. <laughs> yeah. what Why did you? Why did you say sperm? Because yeah, well, yeah. it was mating. <laughs> So what it, does sperm it, have to do with it? It, it. it,
2: it, it rhymes with germ. That's, it rhymes with germ. germ and sperm. Germ, sperm. Bad microphones, bad connections. My finger literally hurts now. And yes, I'm recording. I'm this pro- probably needs to be the outro, not the intro. Probably the outro. Yeah, this would be better as an outro. There's something I want to talk to you about. Um, How's our kids doing? Our kids? Well, Like when you create something, you feel like you it's your baby. children. Like, even though I wasn't there when I brewed the lager, I feel like, because, you know, I
3: mean, in was a little homebrew club. The spot of logger is doing great. What is uh, our
2: What is our homebrew club called? Uh, Magic.
3: That's uh, right, magic. That's right. And I don't like the name anymore. I want to change it. You want to change it?
2: Let's so. change it. We well, changed Kill Pop Culture to Real
3: Pop Culture. I'm so. going to wait a little while. Let's change you know, Magic animal. to whatever. You know what it's going to be. What? Go on and say it. I have no idea. It's a 100 o'clock brewing company. 100 o'clock. o'clock
1: hundred o'clock. hundred. A hundred o'clock. For those, for those of you listening, <laughs> the
3: reason
2: Anthony is an early bird. Okay. No, no, no I'm not. Yes, you are. <laughs> you see how sarcastically I said that? No. That's because that's what I needed to say. It like <laughs> you like to get up early, and we like to sleep.
1: I can get up early. All right. I don't. I earlier need you. than you.
2: Yeah, You can't talk
1: for like six hours if you get up before 8. Just not a morning
2: person. But anyway, if we're brewing beer, I want to brew beer when I'm like alert and awake and fully functional. Mm -hmm. Anthony's like, you're like the the drill sergeant of beer. Yeah. You're like, private... Get out
3: of your bed. Give me 65 push-ups and you brew this spot of lager. Stir them hops in there, boy. <laughs> I love uh, the name.
2: So, anyway, I started making fun of Anthony for, like, how early he likes to get up. And I was like, let's do it at 100 o'clock. <laughs> I think
3: I said 100 o'clock. Did you say 100 o'clock? Yeah, because that's what time yeah. you want to start a 100 o'clock. o'clock. Okay. Yeah. It do not matter. Either way, it's the same point. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's what time you want to start. But now o'clock.
2: that we're through ripping on Mark for a minute, let's go back to the original point. How's the – and why do y'all call it Laga? Oh. Whatever. How
1: did that come in? Is okay. That well, no. we can't tell him yet.
2: I'm going to tell him. I don't care. Is there a spider in that shit? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You put a spider in the. Beard. Oh, we didn't put anything. No, he
1: jumped off in there. Jumped in, was, in there all
2: by himself. It was what great. kind of spider are we talking about here? Are we gonna die
3: from?
1: No, that? he's, he's a, pretty cool.
3: Yeah. He wanted to be a part of it. He
2: was a
1: little. <laughs> he was a little woodland spider. Uh, when you
3: no, get that buddy. black widow venom in you. Uh, mean, no, he ain't he, one of them. Not I that. mean, he ain't
1: gonna turn into Spider Man. We
3: uh. Right? It wasn't just one spider.
1: Was, what the
2: hell are y'all doing, <laughs> man? Do I have to be present for everything <laughs> to make sure y'all don't feel s- things full of it, nightmares and a, spiders? It's a good thing you
3: wouldn't. <laughs> you're a big, strong guy, and you had been screaming and running down the road.
1: Crying like a girl. I'll pick somebody
3: up and throw them on a spider. <laughs> exactly.
1: <laughs> well, I know this for a fact.
3: We uh, we, got the, we got the water going. We got the kettle going. and You know how spiders will poof out a little thing of web and kind of do their little floating thing like on Charlotte's Web?
1: No, That's so that. big. <laughs> you know. He's never seen You've that. Never seen Charlotte's Web.
3: There was more than
2: one, huh? There what? was
3: more than one spider. That no, did there was that? just one spider. Yeah. Shot a little web out, a little like a little trailer, and it kind of floated around and misjudged his
1: he trajectory the spe- and landed he called, in the beer and, he and he landed. The steam. And
3: he landed in the water of the beer. Yeah. So, so, so it's a like, bitch. Germ caught it, and said, "Hey man, that spider just got in the, in the water, brought me his brain up to a bowl." So I went over and plucked him out. You know, like, These damn spiders. Well, we had borrowed a uh, a mash tun from our buddy Kim Coleman. Shout out to the Eighteen Seventeen Brewing Company. So, uh, and while I was, I I got it and I was rinsing it out. And when I rinsed it out, there was a little family of spiders living there. So there's family. Uh, yeah, it was a family. Spiders have like five hundred babies. Well, it wasn't a time. that kind of. It was like a. It was like a. A
1: family of seven.
3: Family of six or seven. Oh, that's all. That's all. But they were just on the outside, and I was cleaning them up. I was like, damn. And Kelly was, you know, he was delusional because of lack of sleep. Did yeah. they get in the beer, too? No. I they were just on the outside. Just the one. Just the <laughs> one. Could, yeah. So um, I said, damn these damn spiders. They want this lager bad, don't they? And uh, yeah, Kelly who said, yeah, spot the lager. And spider lager was born. Yeah. So the name of the beer is Spot lager. Yeah. You realize there's people listening to this right
2: now. They have no idea they're, what the hell I'm talking about. No, they're actually more, they're going to be more intrigued by this beer because it's like spider beer. Yeah, they're
1: going to be more intrigued <laughs> yeah. just to what, see if you Y'all actually, made
2: the first beer that one of the ingredients is a freaking spider. <laughs> they're going to be which more Which is the intrigued. one thing that I hate above all other things. That's what's so funny In about the world's the We're going to tell you until yeah. drink There's it. nothing I can hate more than a spider. They're,
1: they're right. going to be more intrigued at the fact of uh, pop music. Listening, listening to see <laughs> if you actually drink it. Pop music. You don't like pop music that much. No. I just, I feel oh, like
3: I can't trust to y'all to do anything without me now. But well, there's no spiders in the beer at all. They were just present when the beer They was were made. just
1: there during the boiling process. Uh, they, they but,
3: was... By the time
2: people listen to this, that's not what the rumor mill is going to say. They're going to be like, these guys created a spider beer. you got to try this. Right. And now yes. y'all are going to be millionaires, and I'm going to hate it.
1: Yeah. Because you missed it. No. Because got... I,
3: I should have been there to stop you. Yeah, you should have been there to stop us. Now it's got gobs and gobs of ooey gooey spider guts.
1: I mean it was just part of the bowl right?
2: So anyway, once again, back to my original question <laughs> that I've only asked four times, how is the
3: It's coming along nicely. Arachnid Lager doing? It's coming along nicely. You I, I checked the gravity and I brought you a sample.
1: You already drank some
3: of it. Yeah, but you were
2: intimately talking about details Oh,
3: earlier, you want me And to, now we're recording so I want to, you to uh, elaborate. You want me to elaborate? Of this, course. Uh, this so, is an audio medium. I don't you want you to just see. look at me. <laughs> well, I'm drawing a picture over here. <laughs> uh, it's all speculation because I actually don't know. I'm just... It's a lucky guess, though. I think I'm right. I've done ales and I think ales are, um, they're top fermenting yeast. Yeah. And, uh, Loggers are bottom for me. By the
2: way, my dog is eating a bone in the background, so it sounds like somebody's stirring up macaroni.
3: Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> with, with that well, in mind proceed, uh, so and <laughs> try not to uh, be distracted.
3: <laughs> when I uh when I check the gravity on any of my L's that we've made in the past, I would drink the sample that I drink. And that's like A hey, A, hey, it's either that's gonna be really good <laughs> when I add carbonation. Or, I hope it gets better when I add carbonation. Well, I checked the gravity on the lager, and I could drink it with a ladle right now because it's yummy. Why did you have to say ladle?
2: Like, you had me until you said that. What am I supposed to say?
3: Scooper spoon? Well, just a big spoon. <laughs> a big spoon?
2: A big round bowl like spoon with a handle. Because it's called a ladle. <laughs> I know, but like.
3: <laughs> but I don't, I don't yeah. I was just trying to use a technical term. And I think ladle is a technical term. I do term. think that
2: I do think the lager is going to be great, though. I, I still uh, don't understand a lot about it, especially with, with why, why the temperature thing is such a big deal. But but I tasted it. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, and the yeah, proof yeah. is in the pudding. Uh, and by pudding, I mean delicious beer.
3: Lager, actually, I think it's the think, derivative of the word. I think it. For, I don't know if it's a different language or me or whatever. I think I read somewhere and that's the Emergy magazine, which I got in the other day, but I guess what well, uh that <laughs> lager means store. So the pro actually lager means just store it for a long time. Well, uh, I mean
2: we've proven that. And that's
3: the the, the, you sit the, the, in the bed. longer
2: you let anything fermented sit, uh-huh. the better it's gonna be. I don't know uh-huh. of a of a time when that's gonna suck unless you have like a, a cooler bud light yeah. in your trunk for three years. That that might not be awesome. But actual, like, real yeah. fermented
3: beverages
2: but uh, that, uh you just put some age on them.
3: Yeah. But uh, the the thing with the lager is it, it's done at a cooler temperature, and you have to have an apparatus or a bomb to make it. And I have the bomb hooked up to my refrigerator as pause is not working anymore. Uh it's fine,
2: just let it go. They know, they know we're watching Money Night Raw. Yeah. So, uh, They're used I to it. Just
3: mute it. <laughs> I
1: can't pause it. You can mute it. it. Yeah,
3: just hit the mute button. Just hit the mute button. Yeah. <laughs> we're almost done. We're not paid to just do it anyway.
1: It's,
2: it's, it's fine. Uh, There's worse things that's happened on this show, I promise. This is like, on a scale of one to disaster, this is like a two. Um, yeah. <laughs> Trust me, I heard our first 50 shows.
3: <laughs> uh, yeah, lager's just done at a cooler temperature, and that cooler temperature, is, I think, has a lot to do with it. It's going to be a crisp, nice beer mm-hmm. when we're done. What does ice filtered mean? I have no idea. Is that
2: sort of like the same thing, I, or do they just make up
3: words to... I'm going to maybe... say it's just probably lager to the cold temperature. Probably so. Because you're supposed to bring... Let's make up some words to make shit sound cool. Uh, like when I'm I'm gonna I'm taking the cake home with and I I'm gonna put the We're lager to in there
1: baby.
3: I'm gonna put the lager in there tomorrow and I'm going to start bringing the temperature I'm gonna bring it up first to kill the what do you mean up like how high? 68
2: ooh
1: yeah
2: watch out for this guy 68 it's a firestorm fire over yeah. here bringing shit point. up to 68 to that to that uh,
3: <laughs> if, make sure you don't boil it all the way <laughs> yeah uh, and then after that, I will put it back in the refrigerator and I'll drop it down five degrees each day until it gets down to as low as to freezing as I can get. Which will be what, 38? Yeah, for about beer? 38. Yeah. Uh, and, I, basically for, and I want to store it at that temperature, basically about four degrees cooler than serving temperature is where I want to keep it until it's ready, which will be about four to six weeks. Yeah which means four because it gave me that option
2: what do you uh contribute the carbonation to Like, I just, normally we have zero carbonation uh, until we force carbonate the beer
3: for quite a while but this beer already has a little uh, bit of carbonation uh, normally ale ale yeast ferment from the top down mm-hmm. and with doing that it ferments and it, it there's a The pressure of the liquid. It's a six-gallon bucket with five gallons of liquid in it, and you're fermenting from the top, so the CO2 goes into that gallon of headspace, and it goes out the airlock. Well, when you're fermenting from the bottom, it actually has to pass through that beer. So when that CO2 has to pass through that beer, the beer is going to absorb some of that CO2. Oh, my God, this
2: sounds so scientific. By the
3: time it gets done, there's none to go out the airlock. Like so, there's science people yeah, listening to this right now. They didn't even like beer until now. It's the same like concept. I'm gonna make some beer. When we make, I'm gonna L, break bad. If when we make ale, we put the CO2. and we just force CO2 into the tank that the beer's in, and it forces it into the liquid. Well, since it started from the bottom, it's forcing it into the liquid the same way. Well, much like one of our favorite audio books, The Martian. Yes. Did you decide, decide to science the shit out of this? I'm science the shit out of this. <laughs> uh, but I'm still not an ice pirate, so not I'm not still a... not there yet. Did <laughs> he say ice pirate? Uh, yeah, he's an ice pirate. I thought he said space
2: pirate. No, he said I'm an MF in space pirate. Space pirate. The movie. Yeah, Ice pirate or space pirate? I think he said space pirate. Right. Well, now i got to go back and listen to the book and the movie again. Well, See if he's... there's a discrepancy right Andy Weir if you're listening first of all I'd like you on my show <laughs> yeah absolutely secondly did he say Ice Pirate or Space Pirates
3: what was the movie there was The Martian. no there was a movie of one of the Ice Pirates it was Ice Pirates oh I, I've never seen that you ever never seen the movie Ice Pirates that sounds made up I thought you was a nerd <laughs> I thought you just, I thought you liked this kind of stuff I mean, I read comic books. So you don't even get the funny reference he made. I read comic books. I'm talking about, th- that was what's so funny about the <laughs> He co- doesn't see what I'm doing yeah. there. No, he don't. The The reference <laughs> he made I in I The Think Martian, more. in The Martian, was funny because of the movie. Yeah. That you don't, that you never seen. I've seen the movie. What movie? No, not the Martian movie. The movie he's referencing. Oh,
2: uh, no, I haven't. Yeah.
3: So you have to watch that and Saw.
2: <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> Wow. Ladies and gentlemen,
3: <laughs> this broadcast has been prematurely terminated
2: from ridicule <laughs> and debauchery.
3: <laughs> but I'm, I'm going to be able to incorporate it into any conversation. Oh, yeah. It's, uh,
1: until you watch You're it. You're going to have to
3: find something else when mm, I. Uh, it's the new chicken broth. <laughs> so
2: it's oh, the new chicken broth. <laughs> we'll explain chicken broth to them one day.
1: One
3: day. It's,
2: no, it's we, hard to explain. We just let
3: them think about it forever.
2: It's, it's hard to explain, but when you get it, you get it right yeah yeah i get it you remember when i said uh that's the mississippi river over there like that's not the mississippi river and you went that's late chicken broth that's That's late chicken (laughs)
3: i'm I'm still in trouble over that
2: let me just okay let me give you all the abbreviated explanation of chicken broth if you greatly over exaggerate something and we call you out on it no, I, I can't do
3: it. You can't do it. I can't do it. I'll have to tell uh, them the whole story one day.
1: One if you day.
3: greatly overexaggerate something, and the person don't you, get it, don't get it. They 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 don't under, don't understand your exaggeration or your sarcasm. Uh, Sorry,
2: the sarcasm, is, the sarcasm is definitely yeah. They
3: are they are void of the chicken broth. <laughs> <laughs> they need some chicken they broth. Need, or they had to, uh, yeah. They, they had need, too much chicken broth. They need to drink some chicken broth, definitely. Yeah. So. You had to explain the story. So I, wait, I will. You're I will. Have to. I will. So I will. I will one day. Yeah. On the 200th Actually, I like episode. the. I like
2: the. I like the fact. The two hundredth. Yeah. Good yeah. lord. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Hell, we're we're happy. We're gonna make it to one hundred. Look I at this guy. I'll have my third heart attack by then. <laughs> what you talking about? <laughs> uh, you should have Jed on the show. That
2: would just. Oh,
1: that would be
3: great. We would have to call it a Jed incident.
1: Because
3: Jed would.
2: He's, he's into
1: this
2: stuff. Yeah? Yep. He may listen to the show. I don't know.
3: If he don't, he
0: should.
3: Hi, Jed. He should. Jed, you should listen to the show. <laughs> you can tag him in it now. No. <laughs> no.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be so funny if
1: he's, like, calling in next week.
2: All right, so what what else do we need to talk about? I mean, we, we know we had a great interview. They just heard it. We're, we're doing the outro, by the way. Yeah, this is we're way too drunk for this to be the intro. Nah, no, we can't do I it. I need really. some responsible people. We shouldn't drink before we do
3: podcasts because you had to edit it. <laughs>
2: I'm just oh, not- yeah, this is going to be a nightmare to edit, but, you know, just- it's, it's the outro. Like, I feel like the outro is kind of a loosey-goosey kind of thing anyway because they're, they're tuning out anyway. Okay. They're ready to go. You can say loosey-goosey, but I can't say ladle? <laughs> yeah, you're damn right. Because <laughs> that sounds like something a Viking would never do. You can't
3: say what? <laughs> ladle. Still said it here. He Still
2: said Lucy Goosey.
3: Oh,
1: no.
2: You could never drink chicken broth out of a ladle.
3: <laughs> We're back. Yeah.
2: Anyway, we had a great interview with Chuck. He's a he's a super cool dude.
1: Yes, he is.
2: I, I really feel like he'll be on the podcast again.
3: Unless he listens to this outro.
2: Unless he listens to this, <laughs> then be like, what the hell did I get myself into? Yeah, you know,
3: Mississippi boys, they're, they're drank too much. <laughs> <laughs> it's
1: the damn humidity.
2: Or he might go. I need to go party with him. Yeah. <laughs> he's not coming to
3: Mississippi. Oh, we should go there and party.
2: Yes. <laughs> he invited us. I know. Did
1: right? he not? He did.
2: Before we even did the interview, he said we could come do a tour. Yeah,
1: he's like he wanted us. What to if kill a little pop little.
2: culture? Oh, damn, call the road. What if real pop culture went on the road to Denver, Colorado and did a whole tour of Maha Comics?
1: That'd be awesome. I would cry a little bit and be happy a lot of bit.
2: I would buy a comic book. Oh, whoa. whoa. Everybody
3: watch out. We got a badass over here who's going to buy a comic book.
1: <laughs> Why are you talking like a
3: preacher? Because <laughs> I feel like I'm preaching to him. A badass over here buying a comic book. Because
2: yeah, I mean you're our dungeon master that doesn't read comic books, which I find very odd. That's two different worlds. <sighs> but is it?
1: Yeah. No. Is it?
2: No. I'm no. gonna keep saying is it till you stop saying yeah.
1: <laughs> okay. No. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no.
3: Yeah. It's not. It's it's the same world. No, I mean I'm I good. get it.
2: There's there's nerd culture stuff that I don't get into, like Harry
3: Potter, or anime. Or an, yeah Yeah,
1: I'm not into that maybe. or
3: however you say that other word what if I say it I'll say it wrong so okay. I'm not saying it I'm not gonna be that guy it's the one that starts with the M and it's the same thing manga 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 I don't know how to say it it's big shout name. out
2: big shout out to Chuck from Maha Comics big shout out to uh, the Edge Radio US for airing us Aringus, oh, Aringus, yeah. I did that was I just made a Erringus. two-word thing into a one-word thing. It sounds like a Aringus. Yeah. Thanks for Eringus He
1: sounds like that's a Scottish your, kid. Thanks your, for the Eringus
3: That's your next D character. Thanks for Eringus. My next D and D character is going to be called Aringus. He's going to be Scottish. You to play thanks a, for Eringus on
2: it? on the Edge Radio US. You have to play a dwarf. <laughs>
3: I'm fine with that. Dwarf. dwarfs are badass. Name Aringus. A,
2: a Eringus, dwarf will punch you in the eye, twelve. Eringus times. hop grower. Aringus hop grower.
1: Eringus a hop grower. So that's like the most badass
2: like <laughs> that's what I want to do when I retire. <laughs> I just want to change my life that way. <laughs> to Aringus Hop Grower.
1: Your name <laughs> is going yeah. to be forevermore Aeringus.
2: People are listening to this going,
3: my God, why do I listen to this show? <laughs> no why? This is why they listen to this
2: show. This is why. <laughs> they They on love this. it and they hate it. They wait like, on
3: this moment. We're like a train wreck. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I can't look away. <laughs> we're more redneck <laughs> than Honey Boo <boo-boo>. Boo. <laughs> 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 we're more boo boo than Honey Redneck. <laughs> exactly.
1: Uh,
2: <laughs> look, we were sober when this started. <laughs> what do you expect from us?
1: Yeah, We can't keep up persona forever we have to go back to being <laughs> us.
2: alright tell them bye bye
1: love you man you gotta
2: come up with something see you later bye see you later bye that's your thing yeah you're gonna say like keep it classy Seattle or <laughs>
1: <laughs> I can't <laughs> say
2: <laughs> I can't say, say ladle but you want me to
3: say that what What was the <laughs> other one on Anchorman keep it classy and what, what? I've never seen Anchorman what you know I haven't you don't like silly shit that's nah, right then why do you like me? Because you're real. <laughs> you can touch him. Man's real to me.
0: Sometimes they
3: really get mad. It smells like Bigfoot's
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> We went too far. Way too far. Let's get out of here, man, before they tune in, Before. Let's go before somebody cuts us off.
3: Bye. See you
2: later, bye. Hey, thanks for listening. Real pop culture broadcasting from high top, the first and only floor (laughs) of Kill J headquarters on the Kill J Ranch. I haven't said that in a while. I know. It's been a while. Love you, bye.
3: Love you, minute. I'm supposed to say mine first. No, you say yours first.
1: You did
0: say yours
3: first. <laughs> I almost started like air guitar the music. American, 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 American.
2: Jay Black,
1: that shit. <laughs> <laughs> Friggle, giggle, giggle gaga. gaga. He technically did say his first, didn't he? No, you need to say yours first, than him, than me. I have no idea. Look,
2: we gotta go. We don't want to. But we have to because we are losing listeners. Like we're bleeding listeners right now. I don't want to go,
3: so we yes. have to go. I want to go because we need to turn the air conditioner back on. It's Wait. getting hot. I'm starting to perspire. Good point. Love you, bye. Mississippi humidity. <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> See you later, bye. Love you. Mean it. <laughs>